Welcome to Monday Morning Coffee with Inside the Firm. Each week, our hosts will be interviewing local, regional, and national business leaders to give you an inside peek into how they lead their business to success in the ever-competitive business climate. Welcome to Monday Morning Coffee with Inside the Firm. Today, I have a very special guest, Dara Rosenbaum, and she is an attorney, business advisor, business owner, and podcast host. She has a passion for creating and helping, protecting and growing companies. She is a litigator and transactional lawyer who became an attorney to help people. Her love of helping business owners drew her into business law. Dara, welcome to the show. Nice to be here. Thank you so much. Uh, One thing I like to ask everybody kind of before we get started is Mm -hmm. uh, tell us a little bit more about yourself and how you how you got into what you do. I know that was a little brief intro, but I would love to hear more. Did you grow up in a a family of entrepreneurs of the opposite? Um, Kind of what led you to start your own practice? I did not grow up in a family of entrepreneurs. I uh, certainly grew up in a, in a very supportive family, uh, very hardworking family, but not, not, not a family of entrepreneurs. Never really thought I'd be an entrepreneur. Uh, the plan after I decided that I did not want to be a coroner, that was sort of junior high school. Um, by high school, I pretty much knew I wanted to be a lawyer. You know, I was doing mock trial, debate, all that kind of stuff. Ended up working at one firm, uh, which had to let me go after 9-11 and their business was affected um, then went to work for the man who is now my business partner. So I'm at Rosenbaum and Taylor. He's the tailor. And we worked together for like 10 years. And we would every once in a while kind of joke about, yeah, we'd do this differently if it was just us. Or, mm-hmm. you know, we wouldn't have to deal with this if it was just us. And 10 years ago, we decided to, to form the firm. So it was sort of a born out of circumstance as a, and not by necessity, just something that we felt like, you know, working on our own and making our own decisions and setting our own processes and our own relationships was going to be a good thing for us. So we decided to form the firm and had never really thought I would do it. Um, didn't really in the beginning see myself as a business owner, just saw myself as a lawyer with my own firm. Uh, that's obviously changed, but it's, um, yeah, it was, it was not the path I intended to take or thought I would take, but here I am. Love it. Did you? Uh, yeah. So, so <clears throat> I think that's a that's akin to kind of how Alex and I started our our firm. Is we we saw all the all the all we, what we thought was things we could do better than the people mm-hmm. that hired us originally. How far? How, so, how long ago did you guys start up? And then, how big have you grown to since then? So, ten years ago, Scott and I started it by ourselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, went into executive suites. So they had the furniture, they had the internet hookup, they had the receptionist who could answer everybody's calls. Uh, and it was just the two of us. And we literally were doing everything down to making copies and mailings and you know scheduling everything. And then we've now grown to six attorneys total and three support staff. Beautiful. Um, how, how did you know that practicing business law uh, was what you wanted to do since a young age though? I mean, was that what was there a book you read or like was there just some course that kind mm-hmm. of led you there? I would say it didn't start with business law. It sort of started with law. So when I grad, you know, when I was in high school, it was the mock trial team and it was a criminal law case. Or if it was, you know, a civil law case, just whatever they gave us. You know, debate team was whatever topic we were given. And I didn't really know what kind of law I wanted to practice and had some difficulty finding a job out of law school. I was moving up from Emory in uh, in Atlanta and getting a job in New York and just didn't have all that much, you know, great success when I first started uh, looking for a job. And I took a job at a firm that was doing half insurance defense. So hired by insurance companies to represent their insureds in property damage or personal injury or wrongful death cases. 
and half maritime, which was cargo claims, cargo damage, mm. cargo theft, um, all these things that I knew nothing about. And it was sort of, you know, professionally was sort of raised a trial attorney um, and continued doing those type of insurance defense cases at our other firm um, up until about 10 years ago. And when we started here, we started getting a lot of questions from clients about other things. You know, hey, I know you're representing me because the insurance company hired you, but also I wanted to form another LLC. Or I have this business dispute, it's not covered by insurance, and, you know, can you help me with that? I'm trying to draft a contract, I'm negotiating a new deal, all those kinds of things that, you know, sort of fit more into the business law realm than the litigation realm. I've certainly litigated business disputes, mm -hmm. but I spend more time either trying to avoid them or trying to help people, you know, structure their business, grow their business, make strategic decisions. That's sort of where the advisor piece comes in. But I think that I, I grew to love business law from the relationships I had with clients. You know, people I was already working with and already meeting or meeting through networking or connecting with people who, you know, have a tremendous passion for their business, have a tremendous amount of experience in what they do, whether they're landscapers or filmmakers or construction workers or they're graphic designers, anything, you know, we're sort of uh, across all industries. But they didn't necessarily have the experience or the know-how in terms of the legal the legal framework or things that they were doing that would affect them in terms of insurance or indemnity or contracts. And that's kind of where we came in. Yeah, sure. Uh, what, what are some of the biggest challenges you faced as an attorney and, and a business owner? Um, and without naming names, obviously. And, and then how did you overcome those? I think some of the challenges that we face as business owners are things that nobody taught us in law school. So, you know, human, human resources things, you know, human resources issues. Um, as the firm has grown, you know, inevitably over the years, we've had personality conflicts among the employees. Um, none of them are here anymore. But, we, you know, we've had those types of things sure. we need to deal with. And there were definitely times when Scott and I looked at each other and said, we just want to practice law. It's like, you know, we just want to be lawyers. And I think that's where a lot of attorneys sort of fall down in the business end of things is they just think of themselves like I did early on as, you know, we're lawyers with our own firm, not we own a business. And so I think some of the challenges were just, you know, HR, technology, uh, sales and marketing, all the things that I had to either kind of learn on the fly or realize I didn't know. And that's something that we've kind of, you know, really been working on for, for 10 years now. And I'm sure I'll continue learning for the rest of my career, but lots of things that don't get covered in law school. Yeah. So was it just learning? I mean, on the, on the business owner training, I mean, I'm trying to, you know, sort of like on the job training, is that how you guys tackled it? Or did you reach out to somebody else, like a third party at all for any stuff like that? I found honestly that when you realize what you don't know and can be comfortable enough admitting what you don't know, there's tons of people who are willing to help. Yeah. You know, I think, you know, I realized nobody's knocking on my door and saying, Hey, I know you need help with this. Here's what I suggest. Um, you have to go out and ask them. So I've cultivated wonderful relationships over the years with people who know a lot more than me, who are either running law firms or running other small businesses who have had all these challenges that I've had. Cause you know, let's face it, nobody's doing anything really for the very first time. Yeah. You know, I'm not breaking any new ground in terms of running a business so I've learned, I think some of it's sort of trial and error. Um, we've definitely made mistakes in hiring. We've made mistakes in choice of technology platform. Um, you know, we've made mistakes in terms of processes that we put in place that we then had to kind of overhaul. But I think 
by and large, it was either kind of on the job trial and error, or it was really reaching out to people who knew more than I do, um, who were willing to say, hey, yeah, this is great. I, I actually just had that challenge last week, and this is what I did about it. Yeah, yeah, that's beautiful. Uh, tell us about some of the, your greatest success stories that you've enjoyed, and then how, how did they come about at your guys' firm? I love working with entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, small business owners who are starting. It's a great fun time to work with people because there's all this excitement and there's all this energy and you get to help them build it the way that they should build it and the way that they want to build it. Um, I've been, you know, I've been working with some small clients, um, one of whom is a financial advisor. And we talked about how to structure a contract so that it actually has some sales benefits too. Mm. You know, so that you can put in the scope of work and make it really something that somebody looks at and says, well, that's really worth the price that I'm going to see on page two, because that seems like I'm getting a lot for a lot of value there. You know, I've coached that person to, you know, under promise and over deliver, which is, you know, a very standard phrase. Mm -hmm. But I said, well, if you intend to do, you know, two reports that cover these issues, then I would say, let's call it, you know, one report, let's set it at a smaller, so that when you give them two really comprehensive reports that you always expected to give them, they're feeling like they really got a good deal. You know, the same way I try to weave in a client's experience or the team that's going to be working on something into that scope of work so that it seems like, you know, you're really getting good value there. And you are, you're definitely getting good value there. But I think too often those scope of work descriptions are very dry. Um, and, you know, sort of boring. So I'm, that's something that I definitely love working on. And I think it's been very good for my clients to have that kind of document because when they finish the pitch or the deck or the presentation, somebody has something they can look at that says, yeah. you know, oh, this is what we're getting. This is great. So it's been, I think, a, an innovation of mine to some degree and something that I really enjoy working on. I love that. We did, we did exactly that with our contracts too. Mm -hmm. We change it from this uh, six to seven page, just, you know, wall of text. Mm -hmm. And started interacting and started putting some uh, images in there because we're architects, right? Mm -hmm. So, man, that, that was you're brilliant for doing that. I, I, I would applaud Thank you very that, much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I'm sure you're like you said, your customers um, or your clients, rather, uh, if they're if they're experiencing great successes from that, well, then it's just a testament to mm -hmm. what. The, what and like I said, I'm not, certainly not the only one to suggest it, but I mm -hmm. think I'm suggesting it in industries where people hadn't previously been doing it. Absolutely, 100. Yeah. percent Yeah. I mean, I review contractor stuff all the time. Yeah, you're right mm -hmm. about that. Um, tell us about maybe one of the most unexpected relationships that you've had that have, that have impacted your life. I would say some of the most unexpected relationships have been with adversaries of mine. You know, people on the other side of the negotiating table, people on the other side of the courtroom. It, I learned early on and I had some great mentors um, at, at my last firm who were just gentlemen. And they really were like, you know what, you're not going to gain an advantage by not giving somebody a courtesy. And if you don't agree to some you know, a scheduling change, you're not going to suddenly win the case because you didn't give them an extra three days to do something. But you're going to have to explain to the court why you didn't do that. Um, and I've always tried to practice in a very collaborative way. So even if it's a dispute and it's, you know, the clients are sort of in this knockdown, drag out fight, I always try to keep it very cordial and very professional with the other side. It's not personal to me. It's very personal to my clients and I want to advocate for them, but I'm going to treat the other attorney with, you know, as much respect as I can. So I've developed friendships with other attorneys who, you know, we were in the middle of a brawl or we had a really tough negotiation and they just sort of got to know me and I got to know them as a person. 
And, you know, people I have coffee with, people who I regularly network with, people, you know, going back to our other discussion, who I can call and say, have you ever had this problem? Or, you know, who are you guys using for this service? Or, Mm -hmm. you know, hey, I'm looking for an expert on fill in the blank. Do you have that? You know, anybody you'd recommend? And I think that I get to tap into those resources and because of the relationships I've developed, but I didn't go into practicing law thinking that I'd have those relationships. I mean, you know, everybody on TV is screaming and yelling and throwing things at each other. So you don't expect to have really cordial, productive relationships that survive whatever the negotiation was or survive the case. Why do you think they survived though? I mean, was it because you actually lent, uh, you know, laid an olive branch out and reached out to them? Was it as simple as that? And you just, and and it never really got personal? I mean, that's really interesting. I would say that it's, it doesn't, believe me, it doesn't work in every case. Sure. Um, and I would say that some of it requires being a little disarming. So I've had, you know, somebody come in just really just, you know, baring their teeth and, you know, snorting and, you know, grunting. <sighs> And my and, and barking answers at me. And I'll generally try to slow it down. It's like, listen, have we met before? No, we never met before. Then you can't possibly hate me yet. So why don't we just take it back? Let me reintroduce myself and we can start over. You can hate me later. And, and I think that, you know, that's something that is, you know, it's polite, um, sort of makes the point of like, you know, hey, where's this hostility coming, coming, coming from? You know, we don't need to start this meeting at nine and a half. We don't have much to, you know, we don't have any place to go above that. Let's Let's just take it down a notch, you know, and I think I've always tried to extend courtesies. Um, I've always tried to be as helpful as I can when I can. Um, I don't look to take it, you know, to take advantage um, improperly of something that somebody has done. And I hope that that's my reputation. So I think that some of it's laying out an olive branch. Some of it is just trying to diffuse the tension. And there are certainly relationships that I've begun over a negotiation or over a, a about a lawsuit or something where it's been nasty in the beginning. And then after months and months of working together, it's like, okay, you're not so bad. So they, they certainly work to a varying degree. I have, you know, some better relationships than others, but you know, the likelihood of seeing a client again, you know, in a nego- you know, who you're dealing with on the other side, maybe, maybe not, you're going to see the lawyers again. So you oh, yeah. want to make sure that your reputation, you know, I mean, New York, there are tons of lawyers here but reputations are one of those things that kind of get steeped in history and you don't want somebody to, you know, tell you somebody else how difficult you are. Yeah. Where did you learn those skills? Was that on the job or did you seek out something to disarm? Like, was there a how to disarm people sort of thing? I mean, <laughs> I think it's a little bit of my personality. Yeah. I think yeah, that's a good question. I think it's a little bit of my personality and I think it is sort of looking at how I wanted to, to run my professional career, you know, I felt like it was going to be exhausting to be angry and pounding on the table all the time. So I think a little bit was watching people in other industries who I just felt were very kind and were very professional and very well respected without being the boss from Double Wears Prada, you know, without barking orders at people, without having people be afraid. Like, I think there was an appeal in the very beginning when I was sort of not secure in my career and didn't really know and didn't want anyone to know what I didn't know. I think as I've matured in my career, I've found that it's a personal choice. And I think it's also just from watching the people around me who I respect. Yeah. Yeah. 
I love that. I mean, learning from other people is, is especially if they're role models in that sense where you're seeing mm-hmm. them have success, that, that, that's, that's 100, 100%. Absolutely. Um, there's a, there's a uh, the media likes to, um, you know, some of the things that have been in the headlines lately a lot are a bus- uh, women, women in, in business and you're, mm-hmm. you're a woman business owner. I would mm-hmm. love to hear your take on if you have experienced sexism in the workplace, mm-hmm. um, if you, ways you've overcome it, or if you even haven't. I mean, some I have I have guests on here sometimes that say, "Look, I haven't really experienced anything that uh, the media pundits are saying." Mm-hmm. Um, and then some people say yes, and then here's how they overcome. I would just love your general take on where you think we're at as a society. Mm-hmm. Good, very good question. I think so. I have. I mean, I, there have definitely been instances where I can identify, you know, sexism in in the workplace. Not in my personal workplace. That's never sure. been an issue. But sort of in the you know in the larger world, um, I mean, I remember going to a deposition earlier, much earlier in my career, where I was sitting at a table and there were attorneys I knew. It was you know case we'd been working on for a long time, and one of the other attorneys came over and you know very angrily kind of slapped his business card on the table and said, "Oh, I'm the attorney." It's like, and I turned around and looked at him. I said, "I know who you are." He's like, "Oh, Dara, I'm so sorry. I thought you were the court reporter." Oh. Okay. <laughs> um, you know, I've definitely been in, you know, meetings earlier in my career and sometimes it still happens where, you know, Hey, would you mind, you know, why don't, why don't you go ahead and pull together the lunch order? Mm. Um, it doesn't happen nearly as much as it used to. Um, sure. I think I've, you know, sort of a, hopefully a particular kind of station where that isn't happening. It bothers me more than it happens to anybody. Cause I look and say, well, you know, that person thought I was the court reporter and was being kind of rude. That person's probably rude to court reporters. And I hate that, you know, if I, if I answer the phone in my office and no, nobody knows that I own, you know, I own the place and somebody and, and, you know, prospective client is rude. I just think about the fact that he's probably going to be rude to my paralegal or he's probably going to yeah. be rude to, you know, to my assistant and that I don't like at all. But I think that, you know, it, definitely there are fewer women trying cases. It's you know, trial law is a difficult area for women, especially mothers. Um, I have a three-year-old. And balancing coming back from maternity leave with trying cases was, no pun intended, very trying. Yeah. Um, I was nursing and you know, had, to, had to take care of what I needed to take care of, you know, in the bathroom uh, during lunch breaks and carry a cooler with me in addition to all of my trial, my trial bag and all my paperwork. Definitely big strides happening there. I mean, there's now a mother's room in many of the courthouses where you can have some privacy. Um, and I think that people are generally much more understanding and much more accommodating. But I think that there's, there's still a way to go, I would say, in terms of, you know, seeing in that room where juries are going to be selected, you know, somebody's being sent out to pick a jury, seeing more women there. Um, I think there's, there's a way to go there, but it's certainly made, I mean, in my 20-year career, we've seen big progress there. Yeah. So I would say that I don't know that I've necessarily overcome anything um, and I still get people who say like, oh, how's it practicing with your dad? So my dad's not a lawyer. Oh, oh Rosamund Mandela. No, that's me. Huh. Uh, and that still happens where, you know, people think that it must be my father's firm. I'm not offended by it. Um, I have somebody bought me a mug a few years back that said, go ahead, underestimate me. That'll be fun. So I kind of, I think it gives me a tactical advantage. I like being underestimated, honestly, in some circumstances. So I don't know that it's necessarily something that I've overcome, but I think I've seen, you know, a lot of, a lot of steps in society and in times, in terms of recognizing women as equals. I think that's, we've come a long way. Yeah. Yeah. That was a very positive answer. I love that you take it as sort of a, 
uh, you use it as a little bit of fuel for yourself. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Yeah, that's really great. And I can't, I mean, I can't listen. I can't, I can't wholesale change it myself. And I can, right. you know, certainly do my part to empower women and support women. And I think that's all important. But I think that it's just, it's not something that I can think about all day, every day, because I'm doing so many other things. Right, right. You got a firm to run. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> um, well, tell us about, let's move to contracts, um, obviously, right? You're sure. writing contracts and helping business owners with contracts all the time. Mm-hmm. Tell us why the internet is a, is a terrible source for contract language. There's nothing personalized. So, and you don't know if you're looking at a contract for your state, another state, no state. You don't know who wrote it and it doesn't fit your circumstance. Mm-hmm. And you don't know what you don't know. So you don't know, for example, you may read what's on the page, but you may not know what provisions should be there or could be there that would be helpful to you. You know, it may seem perfectly fine, but an attorney can help with wording that's going to be stronger so that if there is a dispute or a threatened dispute, you have great language to point to. Um, you know, there's, there's issues with the way things are worded between states. You know, some states allow certain things, some other states don't. You also don't have an opportunity to tell somebody where your pain points are. Hmm. You know, if you, for example, are concerned about having, you know, having payment to cover your materials and, you know, these are the mile, there are milestone payments, you don't necessarily know how to write that. So if you have things that you want to add to the contract, you're sort of left floundering with like, well, where do I put that? And does that conflict with anything else I'm putting in here? You know, I see sometimes people put together these kind of Frankenstein contracts where they take a little bit of this one and then a little bit of that one. And what you end up with is, you know, paragraph three conflicts with paragraph 11 um, or doesn't really take into account how the business is done. And also doesn't take advantage, like we talked about, of making a scope or making the contract personalized in ways that can be kind of a sales tool. So there's, there's certainly pitfalls to it, but I think it's also a lot of lost opportunities for the way that things can be done. And I, you know, I know that people in business think, many people in business think that contracts are a necessary evil or an unnecessary expense, or do I really need to get the personalized mm-hmm. contract? Do I really need to get it custom done for, my, for me? What I try to give my clients is a form they can use. So you don't have to call me every time you have a new deal, you know, with this particular, with a particular vendor. If you need a new con, you know, just, you can update the payment terms yourself. Here's where they are. You can update these terms. You can update the pricing. This is where you want to look. And sometimes they'll call me with, with specific questions, you know, say, Hey, my, 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 you know, my client's asking me about this particular segment, not really sure what it means. Can you help me? Um, and I certainly strive to write them in plain English. Like you said, you don't want to kind of give somebody that wall of text. I don't want to have somebody work with a contract they don't understand and can't explain. And it shouldn't sound like Shakespeare. You know, there shouldn't be henceforth the party of the first part or agrees with the party. It's like, just write it in English. Yeah. So I think that, you know, I think that a contract that you've worked with somebody on is a, a lot less intimidating. Um, and you can explain it to your clients because you shouldn't be working with something you don't understand. And it gives you all those opportunities to avoid the pitfalls and to use it to your best advantage. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's move to business. Um, how do you, how do you help? In, in, you know, you talked about the the contracts and how you how you've tweaked those with people to mm-hmm. help. So they're sales at the same time they're yeah. sort of they're a legal document. But mm-hmm. how, how else do you help uh, businesses grow and profit? 
I do a lot of advisory work. So, you know, this is, you know, I'd like to hear the five-year plan. I like to learn the business. I like to understand the person who's running the business. You know, is this going to be kind of a side hustle? Is this going to be a business that's supposed to support a family of, of four? Uh, is this a business that somebody feels passionately about and really wants to do until they're in their 70s? Or is it a business that they're going to be looking to sell? So I like to understand all of those things and really learn the people and learn the business so I can give the best advice. And I help a lot with things like strategy. You know, what vendors do you want to go after? How do you want to, how do you want that relationship to be? It does come down to a lot of contracts, but it also comes down to a lot of negotiating. Mm. And it comes down to, you know, helping them build the relationships that they need. I often stay behind the scenes in those negotiations because, you know, our media portrayal is not the best and some people don't like to deal with lawyers. Uh, so I'll say, you know what, let's not make this intimidating. I'm going to give you a list of what I think you should ask for in terms of either documents or requests in a contract or requests in a negotiation. And then you can just present that and then we'll go from there and I'll kind of guide you through the negotiation. So I sort of do a little bit of that, of that kind of behind the scenes I don't want to call it puppeteering, but that kind of idea. Um, I am an ear a lot. Um, it, it, it's emotion. I mean, you know, business disputes and business in general is super emotional, you know, especially when the economy is tough or a particular business has been hit hard by something or there are supply chain issues. There's all sorts of, uh, there could be personality issues in the business. It could be a family business where people are not agreeing and, you know, somebody wants somebody else to retire and move on and that's not happening easily. So I'm definitely an ear often, and I'm a sympathetic shoulder. So when somebody is calling to vent, I like to hear everything they have to say and then help them come up with a solution. And sometimes that's, okay, let's sit down and have you talk with, you know, your branch manager, because that seems to be where the issue is. And what processes and procedures can you put in place to avoid this problem that you're having? So I, I do, I really do kind of have that strategic and advisory role. And, you know, sometimes there's sort of a bartender slash counselor role to it too, where people just, sometimes they just need to be heard and they need to vent and they need to be aggravated by what happened before they can really get to the deep breath. Let's fix it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's call it nudging. You're not, you're not necessarily string pulling. You're nudging people around. Yeah. I like that. That's better. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There you go. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're coming up on the half hour here and I have two questions, two last questions for you. Sure. One, one question I ask everybody, um, mm -hmm. knowing what you know now, and if you could go back in time when you first started practicing, what mm -hmm. is one piece of advice you give yourself? I would say treat it like a business. Um, you know, whether, and that would be true for anybody, you know, whether you're opening a candy store, you're opening a flower shop, you're becoming a graphic designer and going out on your own, you're a wedding photographer, dipping your toe into that industry, you know, you're starting a small plumbing company, any of those, but it just, it's a business, you know, mm -hmm. know your numbers, know your profit and loss statement, know what your expenses are and what your overhead is. You know, you can't just look at the bank statement and say, well, that looks pretty healthy because it may not be enough to cover your expenses. I would say that I, I learned definitely on the job, but I learned later than I would have liked sort of that approach to, you know, yes, you're an attorney, but you also run the business and, you know, you have obligations to other people. You've got, I mean, there's nine of us here now. So those nine families we're, we're, you know, we're helping to support. So I would say the numbers are very important and, you know, always recognize that and, and know those numbers to treat it like a business. Yeah. Fundamental. Absolutely. Dara, you have been a wonderful guest. Um, if, pe if people would like to learn more about you or, or listen to you more, I know you have a podcast. Mm -hmm. um, yep. Where can they find, follow, and learn more about what you do? 
Absolutely. So I'd love to connect with anyone on LinkedIn. I'm there. I'm in there on there all the time. Uh, the podcast is called Compelling Conversations Where Law Meets Business. Uh, it's always linked on my LinkedIn as well. It's also available on YouTube. And if anyone wants to learn more about the firm, the, the website is uh, www.rosenbaumtaylor.com. And I mean, like I said, I think relationships are really important and connecting with good people is really important. So I'd be happy to have anybody reach out and connect with me. Beautiful. I hope some of our listeners will take you up on that offer and uh, so and listen to the podcast. It's uh, I, I assume it's free. So there you oh, go. It I is. Mean, absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Wonderful. Okay. Sure. Well, thanks. Thanks so much for being on the show today, Dara. We'll, we'll be in touch. My pleasure.